Hi, everybody. This is Peter Diamandis in Los Angeles. Welcome to Exponential Wisdom. I have my dear friend and co-conspirator, Dan Sullivan in Toronto. Dan, how you doing, pal? Really great. We've got a juicy, two juicy ones today as far as disruptable industries. And I think that these are two that I think everybody who's listening to Exponential Wisdom is going to relate to with a lot of irritation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really feel like healthcare and education are both industries fundamentally critical to every single person. And I think today, while it's amazingly better than it was 50 years ago, 100 years ago, we're now able to see how good it could be. And uh, honestly, there's so much improvement opportunity that I, for one, am committed to disrupting both those industries and really making them extraordinary in a way that makes them effectively dematerialized, demonetized, and democratized? How do we make them cheap, mm -hmm. available to everybody on the planet, and make them really easy to use? Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think, Peter, because I know that one of the big XPRIZE competitions is this iPad type, this is the Qualcomm pad, which essentially teaches illiterate children around the planet, in which there's 80 to 100 million at any given time, will teach them literacy within a very short period of time and other things. I mean, you can build the platform. And these are individuals who are just being bypassed by the educational facilities right now. It's not that you're even interfering with any system. There's just no system there. So, yeah, let's dive into education first, and we'll do healthcare next. Mm -hmm. On the education front, yeah. Um, yeah, we call it the Global Learning X Prize. It's a $15 million competition funded by Elon Musk, the DeVos family, Tony Robbins, Scott Hassan, a few others. And it's a competition. So the stats are the following. There's about a billion illiterate people on planet Earth who don't have any reading, writing, and numeracy. Two-thirds of those are women. 250 million of them are kids. And they live in parts of the world where you'll never build a school and you'll never be able to scale the number of teachers. You just physically can't scale that. But, but you can scale something, and that's the tech. And this is a $15 million competition asking entrepreneurs to build – a piece of Android software that can operate on any tablet, phone, or phablet that can take a child where there's no assets, no adults, no schools, and take them from illiteracy to basic reading, writing, and numeracy in 18 months. We announced the competition, had 600 teams show their interest. We're down to 200 fully registered teams. And in about 18 months, five of those finalists will be sending their software out to 5,000 kids in Tanzania to see who has the stuff. And it's about reinventing education in a massive fashion. Just some really interesting things about education. First of all, people don't realize how recent it is that there was even public education. I mean, this starts in the state's mid-1800s. You know, I grew up Catholic, so the Catholics have always had a school system in it. So, you know, there's a long tradition of this. But generally speaking, the whole notion, I remember my father, who only went to eighth grade, said that going to high school when he was growing up in the teens and 20s, 19 teens and 1920s, was the same as going to college or university. Now, even in 1950, only 7% of the American population were going to college. So this whole thing is very, very recent. But 
so many wonderful, self-empowering, self-educating tools have become available. And I know that this is a big passion of yours because you have your two boys coming up. And I think that you would probably prefer them not to go to the traditional route of education if you could possibly avoid it. Yeah, it's interesting. My parents, their grandparents, got them a university savings account. And I had to stop and say, I don't know if they're going to go to college. You know, I had an amazing experience at college. And I think of college as having three basic purposes, sort of the the socialization. I became an adult. I became independent. So that's really important. Then there's the learning some basic things. And then there's the specialization. But this whole, you know, switching from primary education to college education, this whole thing about gaining specialization or what you learn in college is going to change. I mean, if you think about it, Dan, 100 years ago, you would go to school, you would become a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, whatever you would do in college. You'd be done by the age of 22. You would then practice for 25 years, and then you'd die, because that was the average age. You know, It was like you know, 50 back then. And over the course of those 25 years, very little changed. And so getting a standard university education was good. You do it in the beginning and you milk it for the rest of your life. But it's very different now. Now, by the time you graduate, what you learn your freshman year is out of date. And I think education is going to have to become a very continuous process. And of course, that's what we advocate for at Singularity University in our executive programs and such. Well, Peter, you're 30 years out of college now, I think, somewhere around there. And I'd like you to take a quarter of learning that you're doing in 2015 and compare it back to a quarter of learning when you were nearing the end of university. What's the comparison? Is it 100 times that you do 100 times more learning oh, yeah, I, in a quarter? Now? And I think it's really the diversity, the breadth of the kinds of things that I'm thinking about, we're all thinking about. You know, I put out a weekly blog called Abundance Insider. It's actually a news digest that the amazing Marissa Brassfield puts together and also sources from my Abundance 360 community. So I'm looking at what are the 10 to 20 key articles this week that's going on in new material sciences, AI, robotics, mm-hmm. synthetic biology, sensors, networks, 3D printing. It's like there's a tsunami coming, and it's trying to ride on top of the tsunami. And it's we're changing now from becoming a deep expert in one field to really mm-hmm. trying to get a sense of the guiding currents across all of these things because that's really important to know. I think you can be an expert in one thing, but it's important to have a real breadth across this. And and that's what's different about my life today. I'm surveying constantly all the exponential fields and trying to provide this to the people I work with, both with you and with Coach and such. And it's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that thinking about subjects, usually university is kind of thinking about what other people have thought about things. That's really the vast majority of people's education is being familiar with who's done the thinking before you. But really the breakthrough, you know, if I look at successful people around me, especially entrepreneurs, because that's the swimming pool that I'm in, the most successful people are the people who can think about their thinking. They have the ability to reprogram themselves My sense is that I had very few live human teachers that could show me how to do that. I mean, some had the impact that they would kind of reward you if you did that kind of thinking, but they couldn't tell me how to do it. And my feeling is 
that going the route that you're doing with this global teaching tool is that by interacting with a machine that keeps improving, keeps getting smarter, Watson-like, you know, it has the ability to actually get smarter as it goes along, is that you don't have to master the facts because the artificial intelligence is going to have the facts, any fact that you want, but it's actually your ability to reprogram how you think about things, which I think is going to be the great 21st century skill. I totally agree with you. AI is going to become your interface with all the technologies out there. So you don't need to master CAD-CAM if you can describe to the AI, you know, I want something that looks like this, make it rounder here and extend this here, and can you make it lighter weight, use a different material, and have an AI, you know, I talk about interface moments all the time. AI is your ultimate interface moment that enables you to interface with synthetic genomics tools or designing networks. It's like going from intention to reality, and it's really sparking the creative mind that's more important in education and asking the right questions. It's not even knowing the Mm -hmm. details, because Google gives us the details. Yeah, I mean, I just notice my facility, because I'm a great web guy. You know, I probably spend two hours a day just surfing. The interesting thing, people say, well, why don't you get an algorithm that actually brings you what you're interested in? And I said, well, I'm not interested what I'm interested in. I'm interested in finding things that I didn't even know existed. I would say that that's a tremendous change that's happened to me just because of my interface with my computer. And that is, I say, I'm not interested in what I already know. I'm interested in what I don't know. Yeah. So education is going to transform. It's going to transform for our kids. It's going to transform for all of us. It's going to transform with the addition of AI. And I'd like to slip into our second subject for the day, which is the disruption of the healthcare industry. Mm -hmm. And I'm living this right now. If I could, my dad is 88. He's got advanced Alzheimer's. He just came out of the hospital and I'm continually amazed at what an awful experience hospitals are in so many different ways. First of all, it's the most dangerous place to be with nosocomial diseases and superbugs and all of that. But, you know, you go there and insurance and legal has made healthcare such awful Mm -hmm. because the way it happens is, you know, he's in bed and a neurologist will come and look at his numbers on his blood tests and then a orthopedist will come and then a cardiologist will come and then a infectious disease and and no one's looking at the whole human they're all focused on the numbers and in fact it was the fourth day that he was in the hospital that finally a physician came and listened to his heart and his lungs and my mom says finally a doctor has laid his hands on him it's become so impersonal in that regard humans are just not the best number crunchers so mm-hmm. i just think i am for one on a mission to transform and disrupt healthcare this next 10 years. I often feel that hospitals have a very consistent marketing strategy that they stick to, which is we're not happy until you're not happy. (laughs) And, you know, it's not necessary. Like, I had an operation three years ago. I had a prostate operation three years ago. And I was very fortunate because I went to Northwestern University Hospital in downtown Chicago. And I have to tell you, this was a totally great experience. It was very personal. It was very informal. It was like checking in at a resort. Everybody was very personal. They knew my name. They talked to me. They all called me by my first name and everything like that. 
And one of the things, Peter, and it's a hard thing for a lot of people to talk about, but because of recent legislation, a lot of the hospitals have become big networks and they become public corporations. And if you're a public corporation, you are rewarded for the increase of your stock price at the end of every quarter. And the two fastest ways of getting your stock price up in the hospital industry is duplication of tests and wastage, like you were talking about all the specialists that showed up with your father. But the whole point is a test came with each one of those, billable hours came with each of those, and they were all part of the same public corporation or hospital system for the most part. David Berg, he runs a healthcare network in Phoenix. And he said, you know, healthcare, actually, there's three parts to a circle if you look at our healthcare costs. And one of them is that you're paying for your healthcare. He said, if you were just paying for your healthcare, the price would never go up because it would get more efficient. But he says the other two thirds are wastage and administration. And he says that's where the prices go through. Part of it is just that they don't have data, Peter. And I think that one of the real great breakthroughs is going to be deep data. It's almost like reverse entrepreneurship. It's like reverse innovation, is that they collect massive statistics, but they don't know what their statistics actually mean. Well, they're not only don't know what it means, they don't have the brain power to fathom all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that's interesting is if you look at the number of journal articles written per year, there are thousands, probably tens of thousands of journal articles and research articles. And how many has your physician read? Mm-hmm. A couple of hundred, a fraction of 1%. Yeah. So it's tough. You know, and if I think about what the disruptions coming in healthcare, I would probably say, as you and I have discussed, artificial intelligence is the first. Mm-hmm. It's an AI that's able to do the data analysis, as you say, that's able to gather all the data, crunch the data, actually be constantly reviewing all the articles and knowing what the latest is, knowing that a piece of research done yesterday morning is impactful to the lab test you just did this morning. Put a plug in for one of our A360 entrepreneurs, data scientists. I mean, it's one thing to have all this data, but you need scientists to interpret it. I think data scientists are going to have a huge part to play both in the educational one that we just talked about, but healthcare, you're going to have the ability to extract enormous data. But the question is, do you have scientists who can data scientists? To the degree that hospitals invest in data scientists, I think those will be the hospitals that have great breakthroughs. Other technologies, again, the whole sensor world is going to transform us. Today, I've got a little RFID chip implanted in my hand which is more of a gimmick. I have my business card data on that RFID. I've got a Samsung watch that reads my steps and can do heart rate and such. Mm -hmm. That's nice. But it's just the beginning, right? You've got Google, Apple, Samsung, a few other companies investing billions in wearable Mm -hmm. and implantables that will do your blood chemistries, your heart rate, your glucose levels and such. And then we've got our $10 million Qualcomm Tricorder X Prize. Mm -hmm. Qualcomm put up $10 million for a device that any consumer Mm -hmm. can use at 2 a.m. in the morning to diagnose themselves or their kids. And we call this for putting healthcare in the palm of your hands. For me, it's all about making each of us the CEO of our own health, where 
we have something constantly monitoring us, and we have an engine check light. I'll mm-hmm. quote my friend Daniel Kraft, who heads medicine at Singularity University. He goes, you know, we're going to head towards sort of a on-star for the body or your engine check light that is constantly monitoring and gives you a heads-up way before you feel symptoms so that you can make medicine preventative and predictive. Well, Peter, when I think of everything that we've covered in the last several podcasts here, it seems like there's some common themes among all the different disruptions. And, you know, it pretty well follows your six Ds that after you've digitized and you have your deceptive stage, in other words, things are being developed without people realizing them, and then the disruption. But the big thing is the final three Ds of your formula. The one is dematerialize. Think of just being able to bypass enormous waiting rooms and having to go to the hospital when you don't have to go to the hospital and everything like that. And then the demonetized, bringing the price down. I mean, it's absurd. These are the only two areas in American life where the cost has gone up while the value cost of everything else has gone down. I mean, houses are per square foot and what you get in a house are cheaper than they were 25 years ago. Cars are a lot cheaper in terms of what you get, in terms of the value that you're getting. The two areas that the value, in some cases, has gone down when the price went up are education and healthcare. It's kind of crazy, right? I mean, the cost of education today and the cost of healthcare, I don't know where the money goes. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Well, it goes to administration a lot. It's almost like the barnacles on the bottom of a boat. They don't help with having a smooth sail or anything, and they just accumulate on the bottom of the boat. And I feel that there's a lot of bureaucratic, parasitic forms that gather around these large institutions. But a really, really good entrepreneurial disruption can change things really quickly. So I want to give people listening a sort of a vision of the future of healthcare because I think it will ultimately become free. Mm-hmm. and it will become a 100 times better than today. Mm-hmm. And people are like, how can you possibly imagine that? Well, when I say free, it's maybe free to you, not necessarily free to the system. If you think about the fact that Google, uh, your ability to ask any question and have it answered is an extraordinary capability. And, and it's free. And it's free. And 20 years ago, if you wanted to ask them these questions, you would have been spending hundreds of thousands of dollars for consultants and research teams to go and look in the libraries and so forth. But today, Google is free and the same exact quality for a billionaire or the poorest person on the planet with a smartphone. Mm-hmm. And in the future, I think we're going to end up in a world where we're all going to be sequenced. We'll have our exact genome sequence done. My company, Human Longevity, is bringing the price down extraordinarily And we'll know exactly what medicines and what foods and what exercise works for you best and how to prevent things. And one of the things I realize is that insurance companies are going to pay for this. You'll get insurance, health insurance, life insurance, and you'll get a quote before you're sequenced because there's actually a law in the United States called the GINA Act that prevents a health care company or life insurance company from setting your price depending on your gene sequence, even though they do that to some, they ask you your, what your family history is, whether you smoke, all mm-hmm. of that stuff is mm-hmm. sort of like pseudo genetic sequencing, but you'll get your health insurance and your life insurance premiums. And the person who profits the most from keeping you healthy and having you live longest is the health insurance company, the life insurance sure. company. The healthier you are, the less payouts they have. The longer you live, the more you pay premiums. 
So I think that they will pay to do all your sequencing because they want to keep you around longer as a customer. Mm -hmm. So some interesting dynamics are going to come along in the future that will change our healthcare system. There's a misalignment of incentives. I mean, along with the technological breakthroughs, there has to be an incentive breakthrough that goes along with that. The success story behind a lot of breakthrough technologies, I mean, Uber just lined the incentives up so perfectly for the drivers and for the passengers. And I think that there's a genius in creating teamwork where it does not exist. Basically, all great technologies are things that create massively better teamwork. I was reading an article yesterday in the, I don't know if it was Saturday Wall Street Journal or the Times, New York Times, but it was about in the United States in the last 10 years, just because of deep data, they've been able to achieve an overall 34% drop in people dying of heart attacks. And it was just taking everybody who's involved in heart attacks and putting them in the same electronic system so that the moment that there's a heart attack diagnosed at the scene of the heart attack, a signal goes out to a team that's going to descend on this one individual, starting with the EMS people who pick them up. And just because of putting everybody in the same system and having everybody communicating right from the beginning. So I think this is a real breakthrough. All great technological breakthroughs are great teamwork breakthroughs. Yep. And we're going to see a lot of that. And the teamwork is going to be teamwork between humans and then teamwork between different technologies and then between the technologies and humans. So, mm -hmm. Dan, for me, it's an exciting time ahead, a real reinvention of healthcare and education. So I'm excited. And, and pal, always fun to spend this time with you and sharing our, the way we see the world. Yeah, well, these podcasts are a bit dangerous for me, Peter, because for the week or two weeks after I've talked to you, I have a hard time sleeping. So I just want to let you know I can't do this too often. <laughs> Always a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you soon. Okay, Peter. Take care.